Welcome to the Adam State Football Podcast, where we share the great stories of the past and present players, coaches, and friends of the Adam State Football Program. In this episode, Coach Dr. Edward R. Crowther tells us what the good word is. Coach Crowther is a coach, the current director of football operations, emeritus professor, and executive board member of the Adam State University Foundation. In this episode, we unpack all those titles, listen to his origin story, learn how he started coaching, hear about his gifts of the game that have influenced his life, and break down how Adam State football alum can support the program today. I'm your host, A.J. Webb, former Adam State defensive lineman, and now our interview with a 6'3", 240-pound quick tackle by way of Vicksburg, Mississippi, purveyor of wisdom, leader of men, Dr. Edward R. Crowther. Before we get started, let's take a pause for the cause. The Adam State Football Podcast is trying to reach as many players, coaches, and friends of the program as we can. Please show your support by following this podcast, sharing it on social media, and leave ratings and reviews. Thanks in advance. Well, let's get this let's get this party started, Professor Edward R. Crowther, hailing from Mississippi. Let's um, we'll figure out how this this whole project's going to get going. But um, let's uh, let's get you going. Tell us uh, your title. Tell us uh, a little bit about your role with the Adam State football program right now and at Adam State? Well, I play a, a variety of roles, but my official title is Associate Head Football Coach and Director of Football Operations with the football team. I'm an executive uh, board member of the Adam State University Foundation. I chair the uh, investment uh, subcommittee, so we deal with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an emeritus professor, so I guess you could say in a lot of big picture, I'm failing retirement. <laughs> I prefer to think that I'm investing in the future yeah. of Adam State uh, students, student athletes, uh, faculty, and staff. Well, ble- ble- bless you for that. And those are those are those are a lot of things, and we're going to unpack some of those. So, Professor Crowther, I met you in 2005 when I came here. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a runny nose runt out of Apache Junction, Arizona, and I would suspect that most players, probably even before my you know playing era, they're gonna remember you. They're gonna remember you, your charisma, your attitudes on the field, and while you're a part of the story that we've all got to be a part of at Adam State football, as Paul Harvey would say, we don't know the rest of the story. And uh, I want to learn a little bit more about you, Professor Crowther. So will you tell us, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Well, I I grew up in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and uh, was born and raised there, graduated from Warren Central High School in Uh Vicksburg, Mississippi. Uh So that's why you have such a thick Canadian accent. Uh, Absolutely. Uh And remember, Canada is part of the South. It's (laughs) south of the North Pole. Oh, that's... um, and uh, t- tell me, t- tell me more about that and uh, what what that was like. When did you when when did you start playing? Uh, when did you start playing football? Well, I actually started in an elementary school in something called the Midget League. It uh-huh. was uh, put on by the local YMCA. We played a six game schedule, 
Uh, we lined up in the straight T on offense. We're in a 6-3-2 defense. Okay. Our base plays were convoy right and convoy left. And uh, I really appreciated the adult volunteers. Uh, we had a guy that had played uh, professionally in Canada, uh -huh. and his son was in, in our league, and so he's out there coaching. So really, uh, we had a, a high-quality, organized experience. We did have face masks. That's good. Uh, which is, was a very good thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. well, thank you, <laughs> Rydell and all those innovators. I'd be fascinated to talk to you more about what you've seen. Like, helmet technology seems pretty snazzy. For us in 2006 and seven, like I think George had the first fancy helmet, and then after that they started kind of trickling in from those glorified bicycle helmets that we were wearing there for a little bit. But um, t tell us more about tell us more about um, your what role did football play for you? So for me, football was where I needed to go. Like any sport was really where I needed to go. Did you only were you only interested in football? What other interests did you? Have? Well, you know, I I, I enjoyed uh, sports in general. I, I was reasonably active, but I played a lot of basketball, and um, uh, that actually helped uh, with my football. Mm -hmm. And I played basketball. I played my last competitive league game in 2004. That's not too long. And uh, I was in my middle 40s then and uh, playing with uh, guys in their early 20s. And I just, I had five fouls to give and I tried <laughs> to give them. Uh, there, there we go. Um, was there a point in uh, your, your high school athletic career where you decided that, oh, football's a, you know, football's, that's my thing, or this is something I should take serious, or were you just a good athlete all around? What was that like for you? Well, I, you know, I, I had a kind of a bifurcated uh, reality. I spent a lot of time alone, or I was with a group of people. And so okay. I, I loved the game of football, and I had books and, and how-to books, and I would be in the backyard and doing stances and starts and throwing the ball and catching the ball. I had a KRB football, and I would practice place kicking over the power lines. <laughs> and uh, so uh, always playing football. And, you know, during the height of the baby boom, there were lots of, of kids. And so we would uh, we played football all the time. And two-hand touch, full contact, tackle football, one-on-one, uh, 11-on-11. -one, 11 11. We didn't have Madden in those days, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. went out and played. You had to make Madden for your own uh, in the yeah. in, in the sandlots. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, so. It sounds like you, you gravitated it, gravitated to it. You're doing your own. You're doing your homework is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, figuring out these little details of the game. Um, that, that's something that I did a little bit with baseball. Like I was at the at the batting cage for a whole long time. You know, doing stuff that you could do by yourself, but. Um, That'd be uh, I'd be interested to talk to you more about that, and as far as like how players today and their resources can kind of take that pattern um, and, and apply it to improving their game. So, what was your high school career like um, as far as football goes? And I understand that you played with some pretty uh, some some pretty good players that were drawing some attention. And let's talk about your transition into the college. Yeah, I was so fortunate. Um, I, I came along. I started school in racially segregated public school, and then we integrated, and at the same time we had the consolidation movement. So I attended a high school that was formed out of three smaller schools, 
one of them produced Preston Riley that was mentioned in the 49ers uh, uh, game. And so we had a big staff. We uh, had a, a full off-season program. Uh, my high school team at one point won 27 games in a row. It's a lot of games. And, uh, you know, I've always thought that so much of what I've wanted to do later in life was to um, honor the pe people that high uh, college scouts came to see. Mm -hmm. But I had the test scores. Mm -hmm. And so nobody was going to come see this guy. Mm -hmm. But they were going to come see Dale Lurz and Russell Richards and, 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 and uh, Leo Cage and, and guys like that. And so um, a high-quality program, you expected to win. You conditioned all the time in order to be able to win. And you, at the time, you knew that this was a special place, a special school. But we had PhDs on the faculty. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was later when you realized not everybody had those opportunities. Mm -hmm. that you, man, and I, so to this day, I'm motivated by, out of fear of my uh, high school offensive coordinator, uh, he was a really good football guy and very demanding. And you just don't want to let that guy down because mm -hmm. he let you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be reminded that I'm letting somebody down, so the best thing to do is not to let them down. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's, uh, that seems like a real, like a, like, a, like a perfect storm of Mississippi football culture, engaged parents, mm -hmm. um, you know, bringing some different schools together. And I'm sure that that's a whole discussion and conversation as far as what that was like. Um, and then you having a, having the ability to figure stuff out, whether it was football or whatever it is that you needed to do as far as classroom goes. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it puts you in a position to, uh, to, 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 to get a scholarship. So where did you go and play college football? So I was lucky enough to, to go to a D2 school in, in Clinton, Mississippi, Mississippi College. And uh, my high school football coach was an alum mm -hmm. and put me in touch with uh, their staff. Of course, my grandfather was an alum, uh, class of 1920. Okay. And my mother had worked there right after World War II. So uh, kind of an extended family legacy. Uh, but um, uh, it was a good place to go and play football. And um, we had some um, respectable players. Uh, mm -hmm. My uh, big brother, uh, Ralph Ashley, wound up for a, a time with the New York Giants. Mm -hmm. And then they drafted this guy named Lawrence Taylor, and they didn't need oh. Ralph anymore. But, <laughs> but, uh, he did okay. He did okay. Yeah, he did all right. Uh, so when you say big brother, was that, that's like your player mentor? Did, Absolutely. Uh, did you guys play the same position? Like he was so funny. He this beautiful deep voice. My voice is not deep at all compared to him. <laughs> he was an African American. He played linebacker. Uh -huh. Had a beautiful singing voice and also played the saxophone. Uh -huh. And in fact, he had not played football until his senior year in, in Macomb, Mississippi. He was in the band. Wow! But uh, freaky athlete, really? freaky good, and just a good person. Had a, a 55 Chevrolet with mm -hmm. speakers in the trunk, mm -hmm. a good-looking ride. Mm -hmm. in those days. Well, there we go. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like a, a gentleman with some uh, with some taste as far as uh, performing in music. Um, so, what position did you play? So I was a quick tackle. So we okay. flipped off the offensive line, and I played tackle almost exclusively. And I can count on one hand the number of times I lined up next to a tight end. I was always on the open side of the formation. Uh -huh. And so I played quick tackle. Okay. So, yeah. so, what, what, what was you, so you're about 
give it, give us some size, give us your size, give us your dimensions yeah, for I, those days. I, I, I wish I were actually six three. I'm uh -huh. just a shade over six two, but uh -huh. enough over that I can cheat. And I and I, I played at, you know maybe two forty something uh -huh. like that. That's still a good sized person, yeah. especially. Can give us uh, what which decade were you we talking? This about? is the nineteen seventies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you you have the experience of playing college football. That D two did you? What was your what was your guys' travel like? Where I don't know I don't know if Mississippi's got D 2s peppered all over the place, but where'd you guys go? Who'd you guys play? So. Probably our further, furthest road trip would be to a place like Johnson City, Tennessee, but okay. we would play uh, Nichols State in Thibodeau, Louisiana, uh, Delta State, obviously, in Cleveland, Mississippi, uh, Tennessee Martin, you mm -hmm. know. So uh, road trips uh, anywhere from four to ten hours. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. That's, uh, and, you know, we could probably have a whole, probably have a whole episode about buses and road trips and uh, you know the, the adventures that that brings you, but I don't know. I think that there's something magic about road trips as far as spending time with your teammates on the bus, um, both going there when you feel okay, and then you know when you're when you're beat up, swollen Gatorade, trying not to cramp. It's uh, it's, it's quite the experience. Um, can you? Uh, so what what year did you? What year did you graduate? What did you major in when you were in college? Well, so I, I actually finished school, uh, my undergraduate, or uh, I, I finished my undergraduate degree in 1980. Mm -hmm. And uh, I majored, uh, ironically, I majored in religion, but I also completed a major in history. So you double majored? I, okay. And then that, um, so that experience, did that, uh, that guide you into your, your master's degree work? Yeah, so I, I actually stayed at MC uh, to complete my master's uh -huh. and, uh, and then uh, went on to Auburn University where I got my PhD. Oh, okay, so, so was that a pretty, you know, because I did something similar here at Adams State. I had finished up in 2010. I took the summer off and then I jumped into the master's degree program really because I didn't know what else to do and I had been locked into a school schedule and I didn't have children at the time. Um, uh, w w was it was it like that for you? I mean, did you know that you had a PhD in your in, in your future? What was that transition like for you? Which is really what I'm interested. The transition from student athlete to master's degree. Pro what was that transition like? Well, it, I had a really supportive uh, academic environment, and while I I went to college with very different career plans, I was quickly drawn to the idea of, of being a university professor. Okay. And uh, I had a, one particular mentor that directed my master's thesis that uh, you know, showed an interest in me when I was uh, taking a sophomore U.S. history course. And uh, so I stayed at MC largely, um, and TA'd in that department, graded his papers, and mm -hmm. he directed my thesis. But then I, wanted, I knew that I wanted to go on because you have to have the Ph.D., particularly mm -hmm. in in, in sort of the traditional disciplines. Mm -hmm. And um, another member of the department had had a good experience with a gentleman named Wayne Flint, who was at Auburn. And um, I went uh, to Auburn against my father's wishes. He wanted me to go to LSU, mm -hmm. but uh, to study with Wayne. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, you so you major in religion, you major in history. What was the, uh, the, the title of your master's degree work? And 
did that put you into because my understanding is that you specialize in the Civil War era, but I'm also ignorant. So educate me on the the you know your your, your master's degree path. Well, it, it's ironic that uh, what at the time seemed like esoteric study has become so relevant. So I wrote my master's thesis on it was called Mississippi Baptists, Slavery and Secession. Mm-hmm. And, and it evolved into what is now a, a volume called Southern Evangelicals in the Coming of the Civil War that's religion-wide. and The, the book that you wrote. Uh, the first one, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, and uh, and and the thing was, was I was interested in the intersection between uh, evangelical Protestantism, race, and slavery, mm-hmm. which who knew that uh, forty plus years later would be incredibly relevant. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the essay I'm working on right now, um, I couldn't have done if I hadn't had this earlier work. I wouldn't be aware of the the rootedness and you know you just start start reading what people are writing and saying and and learning about what they're doing and um, these are people that saw themselves as really 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 good people and they saw themselves as practicing what they would call biblical slavery Mm. Uh, and uh, they were unapologetic Mm -hmm. and then of course it turns out they were unapologetic about secession Mm -hmm. they were unapologetic about um, um, the practice of slavery and then the implementation of Jim Crow. Uh, they sort of lied about after the war why they went to war. You know, mm-hmm. they sort of valorized uh, and, and uh, tried to soften uh, the, the, the slavery aspect, but um, they really replicated it by another name. Um, and, you know, later, you know, I came of age in the 60s and later you become a student of the civil rights movement, and you mm-hmm. realize that that's just uh, a continuation of this dialogue uh, between among people about you know who gets to be a citizen, mm-hmm. um, can they move about freely, and who gets mm-hmm. to decide, and why do you think that the the responses, the justifications are right or wrong? Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about those things in the nineteen in the late seventies, and in, uh, I finished my master's in nineteen eighty one. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, being from Apache Junction, Arizona, there are some stereotypes about Apache Junction, Arizona. Some individuals who live in Apache Junction fit those stereotypes, but not all. I would assume that being a person from the South, if there are some stereotypes about uh, those individuals and their views on certain things, but that does not seem to be the case at all with you. In fact, my understanding is that you've had a, a, f- a couple like formal like jobs and positions in which uh, you oppose what I would call some of the negative stereotypes of things that have occurred in the South. Can you, can you tell us about some of that work? And, and when did that occur in this timeline yeah. as far as your master's so and, and going to Auburn? After I finished my Ph.D., I was lucky enough to have a stint with the Southern Poverty Law Center, and uh, based in Montgomery, it's still a functioning organization. You can uh, Google it, uh, read about it. it uh, the organization is often quoted in um, uh, journalism today. But I, I started with the Klan Watch Project and uh, literally monitoring uh, right-wing extremism. Mm-hmm. And later, uh, because of uh, some things that had happened, 
Uh, I wound up in the legal division, uh, and on that side, obviously, litigating against the Klan, mm -hmm. uh, holding them accountable for the consequences of speech. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I worked part of the Michael Donald lynching case. Mm -hmm. But it was a, a great opportunity um, to apply um, scholarly methods to issues of important public policy. I later ended up teaching school law at Adams State mm -hmm. because I had originally handled the vestiges docket for the Southern Poverty Law Center, which are uh, uh, cases that were brought um, after Brown versus Board of Education, literally trying to see what the scope of Brown v. Board was gonna be uh, for uh, minimum um, graduation requirements and whether you had to pass a test in order to get a diploma and so forth. And, you know, the work you were doing in the 1980s was relevant 20 years later mm -hmm. uh, and, I guess, relevant today. Wow. That, I would, again, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, I, my, my observation in teaching healthcare classes and especially in areas like healthcare law and ethics is that a lot of individuals fancy themselves that in the event of extreme injustice that they would be you know schindler and that they would take this public and strong position against something um, but I, I i don't know that everyone quite has that bone in their body so i applaud you for for uh because that must have been risky and i don't want to talk too much more about it because i want to get into how you got lost on your way to california and ended up at adam state but uh I don't know, maybe that's a way of saying, thank you, slash, that's impressive. So, how do you get lost on your way to California and end up in Alamosa, Colorado? Uh, it's, it's funny because I have had students over the years that that's precisely, the car broke down, <laughs> and they, they ended up enrolling at Adams State. Uh -huh. But um, when I was at the Southern Poverty Law Center, I wanted to get back into higher education and I applied for a lot of jobs. The academic job market is brutal. Mm -hmm. Coaching is harder, mm -hmm. harder to get a job, but academics are close. Cold is the dope game is yes. the way that Coach yes. Jason Brown from Last Chance U uh, describes it as a, as a very competitive and, and, uh, and, and, and vicious, vicious type of, uh, so hot job, or like challenging job market, you're, you're trying to get in there, what happens? Well, uh, I think it was my 72nd application but I, I was attracted to Adams State because I had come to Colorado to ski okay. in high school and in college, and obviously Alamosa was more attractive than uh, some other places. I literally came down to picking, do I want to ski or have a bass boat? Mm. And I love boating, but you have to maintain a yeah. bass boat, and they're really expensive. Yeah, I understand so it's, a, it's, a, it's a hole in the water where you just put your you money put in. put your money yeah. and don't catch many fish, but... <laughs> Uh, so I, uh, uh, I, I got the job and I thought I'd stay maybe a couple of years mm -hmm. and uh, this is my 34th wow. year um, and, and I have ab absolutely no regrets particularly now. Did you have any idea that Adam State was a place until you're combing the, the directory trying to figure stuff out like uh, my, my thing is is I got a letter before my senior year with Wayne McGinn with a mustache on it and it said, fill out your number and stuff like that. And I think I lied to a girlfriend. I think I'm gonna go to a school here, you know, and I was just kind of tossing around, but 
I didn't know that Marty Heaton was going to come and recruit me later, but it, it, I didn't I, I didn't understand football and how it worked and, and colleges here in, uh, in in Colorado. Had you heard of it at all? No, I, I had to I, I looked up. Um, we didn't have the internet in those mm-hmm. days. I, I looked up and found what I could. That Adam State was an old normal school, and it was funny that I had skied at Monarch. Okay. I had skied at Taos, but I had never been to the San Luis Valley. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first time I saw the San Luis Valley was on a, a it was a turboprop plane, and and looking out the the window over the uh, Sangre de Cristos onto the uh, sand dunes, and then this thing that sort of looked like Western Kansas, but surrounded by mountains. It's mm-hmm. like, oh wow, this is a big, wide open place. Mm-hmm. And literally, uh, as a, a person told me, it's not in the middle of nowhere, but if you threw a rock, you could hit the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. That's that. So, what was your, what were your first impressions? I mean, so did you drive in, hand off your, you know, so you send in, you get the call, uh, come in for an interview process. What were your first impressions? Um, and then we'll get into how you started fooling around with that their football program. Well, you know, it was funny when I came. Um, um, to my first time in the San Luis Valley, we'd had this beautiful snowfall, and and uh, and then the warm sun melted it off, so you have this moisture, and everything was green and lush. Mm-hmm. And when I came back in a U-Haul in August, I come over the top of a, a La Vida Pass and come through Fort Garland, and everything is dry and brown. Yeah. My, it, uh, honestly, it's my God. What have I done? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? Um, so, did you, so, did you hit the ground running? Were you just super focused on you know teaching or in a tenure track? And how long was it before that uh, you uh, you started coaching? Yeah, it was. Uh, I did the whole thing. I. I tenured, promoted, became a department chair. I'd been faculty senate president. And I had some interaction with uh, the, the football staffs because I would go and, and work out and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, talk to Coach Hewitt and Coach Norris and Coach Geiser and, and mm-hmm. Coach Davis. But there was this thing called faculty coach mm. that, uh, that uh, they would do to, get, uh, to try to build relationships between the football program and, and academics. And all the faculty coach did was they gave you a T-shirt, you showed up on game day, mm-hmm. and you had a chart, and you charted the offense or the defense. Mm-hmm. And I have terrible handwriting, so they quickly, uh, you know, they invited me back, but quickly my job began to, uh, to be... Uh, you know, working working with players, okay. and uh, one of uh, one of my early experiences, uh, we had a guy, uh, Todd Thompson, and he goes out uh, leading a, a toss play, uh-huh. and he absolutely whiffs on the block. Uh-huh. And as he comes off the field, I said, "What in the world? How did you do this?" So, well, I was playing linebacker until Wednesday, and. You know, I, I, I don't really know how to block. I said, look, it's just like making a tackle. You just can't wrap your arms. So we get the ball back, run the same kind of play, and Todd just absolutely blows up uh, the force player. And we score a touchdown, and he runs off the field, and I realize as he jumps up in the air, 
he's going to headbutt me. <laughs> and all I can think of is, I can't go down. I can't go down. And he did. And I mean, it was like uh, covering a punt in the old days. I wasn't sure what zip code I was in. <laughs> well, and when we're talking about Todd Thompson. Uh, Todd Thompson's not a set of car keys. We're talking about a 6'2", 240 pounds of, uh, of a pissed off individual. And uh, wow. Um, <laughs> I, I'd be interested to hear more about, you know, how your, your skill set as an instructor and a teacher and your experiences, you know, kind of molded you as a coach. But uh, so your, 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 your bad handwriting gets you promoted into, uh, in, into working with the players. Did that formalize at all? Which, which coach um, was it that you like maybe had your first like I don't know official position or what? Yeah, it was under Coach McGinn, okay. and uh, I was brought in essentially to be an older guy on staff. Uh-huh. Uh, but I worked uh, with Coach Davis in the O mine, and it was funny. I hadn't ever done a practice, uh-huh. and we're in s- spring ball in jammies, you know, uh, uh, acclimation days. Mm-hmm. And Coach Davis, I didn't realize, was out interviewing for a job. And so I'm out there and going, oh, my gosh, I guess I'm in charge of practice. Mm-hmm. But so I thought, well, we've got these number of individual periods. And so I've got this amount of time. And this is what I want to accomplish. And I quickly began to see how uh, planning a practice and working with skill development with players is just like, Curriculum sounds like lesson planning. It's it's exactly like lesson planning, but it's more like uh, you're getting ready in spring ball for summer camp, and then summer camp for the season. It's literally like delivering a, a degree program mm-hmm. in essence. And yeah. what do we want to be in November? Right. And so what do we want to do? On How does March our curriculum mapping? Absolutely. What uh, so what is that? That that's early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I roll in, get to get to meet you, and I figure because I had several, you know, I had five or six defensive line coaches. I probably have spent more time with you <laughs> on a practice field than any one individual right. between one-on-one pass rush and then my uh, my uh, scout team player of the year campaign in two thousand and five. Um, what uh, so, so Todd Thompson? Um, trying to push you into another dimension. That's a pretty good memory. Um, you, you've ta- I've heard you talk very fondly about some of the experiences of, you know, beating Nebraska Kearney, playing for the playing for the Armac Championship right here at Rex Field in 2004. Is there is there anything that sticks out as uh, as, as you know one one of your one of your favorite memories? Well, I mean, other than coaching you on the scout team. <laughs> no, but the Carney game uh, in all the years, that's the most complete game out of the state football played, in my judgment, mm-hmm. against a quality opponent. Mm-hmm. They were really good, and we took them apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, took them apart physically. We had two long drives um, um, uh, that the offensive line really played well, and we – score touchdowns and control the clock. And I would tell, but I can't do that in a podcast, about how uh, Andy Hawkins about got me fired in front of another faculty coach uh, uh-huh. because of his um, boisterous uh, response to, um, do we want to get another touchdown? And how he <laughs> framed, him, framed it. Uh, but that was a. I think the score was thirty-one to seventeen, and uh-huh. it really wasn't that close. 
Right. And uh, I, that was a, a wonderful memory, and uh, I wish we could do that over and over and over again. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure that, you know, if you went through your, your uh, you know, your, your Rolodex of the Andrew Whitney Hopkins, the, the Jeff Shashows, the Chris Lundeens, the Dean Dodaros, the, <laughs> you know, I mean, sure, you know, goes on and on. Shout out to all those gentlemen who uh, were in the trenches as a part of the hog unit. Um. Can you tell me about the gifts of the game, right? And what I mean by gifts of the game, uh, you know, and, and they can be a little bit different. For me, it was just having a place to go, uh, a, a, a consistent group, positive male role models, um, the the camaraderie and the brotherhood. Like I'm, you know, uh, Adam State. For, I always needed Adam State a lot more than Adam State needed me, um, and uh, I've, I've been the beneficiary of many gifts of the game. For you, what are, what are your gifts game? What is football? What is Adam State football? What's it, what's it brought to you? Well, you know, long term, the football, and this goes back to the 1960s, and it's discipline and toughness. Mm -hmm. Discipline, you have to bring it every day. Mm -hmm. And you have to focus on what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And then you have to do it. And, and it can involve uh, improving your skills as, a, as an academic, uh, improving yourself as a human being. You actually have to study your weaknesses and address them. Mm -hmm. And then maybe there's a positive result. And I, I think toughness or grit or gumption is, is often a cliche, mm -hmm. but football's a tough game. Mm -hmm. You get knocked down, you have to get up. And, you know, it turns out that after football, life, if it's going to be lived successfully, demands that kind of toughness. Mm -hmm. Things aren't always going to go your way. Mm -hmm. You'll experience pain, disappointment, adversity, and that's a given. Mm -hmm. How are you going to respond? And uh, uh, that's if there's a deep takeaway from football that translates into life, that's probably it. And I think for Adam State football, um, it increasingly became a way uh, for me to be involved in a larger community than my narrow academic circle. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny, I became a much, much, much better teacher yeah. because I started coaching football. And I knew how to present my discipline, what I needed to learn how to do was how to work with people. Mm. And uh, when I'm a professor, I might be standing behind a lectern. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to stand behind when you're coaching mm -hmm. and you're in somebody's face. Mm -hmm. But I never yell. Mm -hmm. I've had players say, I wish you'd just cuss me out. <laughs> and it, I would say, now look, Mr. Webb, uh -huh. you tell me you want to be a great football player. Do you think that last effort is commensurate with your stated goals, or are you just a liar? Mm -hmm. And uh, you begin to move out of yourself and begin to connect with others on a much deeper level than mere rhetoric, than mere conversation. Because mm -hmm. we're together all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny, I began to talk about the physicality of teaching, and I don't mm -hmm. just mean kinetic movement. Mm -hmm. 
I really mean forming connections mm -hmm. with people and uh, learning to be properly unfiltered. Mm -hmm. um, that was something that Adam State football gave to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, I, th I see myself as a socially shy person. Mm -hmm. I kind of have to make myself take that first step into engagement. Mm -hmm. Well, eventually you learn that you can engage and that the worst thing that's going to happen to you is somebody might knock you down, but mm -hmm. you, you already know you'll get up. Mm -hmm. So now, is there anything to be afraid of? Mm -hmm. Is there anything to stand between you and what you'd like to accomplish with other people? Mm -hmm. Those are tremendous gifts to the game. The, you know, um, football and it's the, the vulnerability of you're out there. It's you, it's your coaches, it's your team, you're on the gridiron. You, and, you know, you can rewatch the plays, the scoreboards, the scoreboard, and you're out there for God and all the world to see. And that's a pretty bold thing to do. I mean, we have the context of sport to shape it. But uh, if you can, t I think the individuals that can take that pattern and apply it to the rest of the universe of being willing to be the, the man in the arena, the person in the arena, that's, uh, that's admirable. What, any, anything else? Well, I think those are the big things, but I would also say that there is uh, really two other things that are amazing, if you want to use the word gifts. Okay. And, and one of them is the simple joy of being part of this incredibly multi-layered competition. Mm -hmm. You're a player, you're competing against yourself, you're competing against other players. You're a coach, you're trying to nurture the competitive instincts successfully on the gridiron, in the classroom, in life with your players. And so I think there's an absolute joy in that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's funny, I get called doctor, I get called, you know, mister, I get, but I get to be called coach and I'm a member of a fraternity that started because I was a player, mm -hmm. and most people aren't. Mm -hmm. And now I'm a coach, and most people aren't. And that's just an awesome thing, mm -hmm. um, because there's a shorthand. Mm -hmm. You and I share it. Mm -hmm. I share it with Coach Harrison, even though he was a much better player than I ever was. Mm -hmm. and, and, and people outside the magic circle really don't get to be in the magic circle mm -hmm. because back when they were in the third and fourth grade, they didn't start down that path. They maybe went down another equally wonderful path, right. but you know, when you're, you're part of that, you're part of that thing called the game of football mm -hmm. and you're an insider, mm -hmm. not just a spectator. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. It is cool. It is cool. And that, you know, to, to be, a part of the group, a part of the club that's, uh, you know, that's, that's brave the two-a-days and that shares that, you know, that same feeling when you smell the fresh-cut grass um, in, in, in early August. That's, uh, you know, you use the word amazing. I, I, I agree with that. Also, the limited, you know, because the, the best football player appears to be Father Time. He's, uh, he's undefeated, just like the sideline. And... Um, 
the limited amount of time that you get as a football player, even at the professional level, you know, with with some exceptions being the left tackle for the Rams and Tom Brady, but other than that, the limited amount of time that you have the opportunity to come together in a complex sport with a bunch of different people and personalities and skill sets and take that opportunity to do something excellent. You have a Lombardi quote that you uh, – that, that you talk about the, the pursuit of excellence in profession. Yeah, Lombardi. I'm a, obviously, as a historian, mm-hmm. uh, you 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 study the past of the game the same way that you study um, your uh, your academic discipline. But when Lombardi is 45 years old and he goes to Green Bay, they were 110 and one mm-hmm. the year before. And so he goes in and he tells the team, he says, gentlemen, we will chase perfection. We will not catch it. But if we chase perfection, we just might catch excellence. And by God, they did. Mm -hmm. They won five out of seven. Nobody else in the game of football has ever done that. And that's why we have a Lombardi Trophy, and nobody says, well, you know, that's a long time, let's change the name. If you know anything about the game, the trophy's named appropriately Mm -hmm. because you don't get that trophy without catching excellence. Mm -hmm. That's a tall drink, uh, that's a a tall order Mm -hmm. to to flip a team from from a 1-in-10 record into a Mm multiple-time champion. let, let's talk about some of the things that you're doing, and, and one of the other titles is you're involved with the foundation, right? And that, that, you know, I don't know exactly what everybody's, you know, synapses fire on exactly when you hear the word foundation, if you're thinking concrete, or if you're thinking of an organization responsible for managing and raising uh, monies to contribute towards a specific uh, specific cost. So tell us a little bit about your work with the foundation and what is this particular foundation? What's it all about to support? Well, so the Adams State University Foundation is an auxiliary of Adams State University. Uh, it exists legally apart from Adams State so it can do things that Adams State as a state institution cannot do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we raise money and we manage uh, an investment portfolio, about two thirds of which uh, produces interest that fund about 240 different kinds of scholarships. Okay. And so um, that, that's the core work of the foundation historically. Mm-hmm. And where does the foundation go about uh, to, to generate these, fun- these funds? They can be you know, they can come from a variety of different sources. So, uh, and we, we have recently uh, a person that had some property, uh, deeded the property to the foundation. We sold, uh, we sold the, the property for, for cash to invest. But uh, a lot of our money comes from uh, small dollar donors, from alums, community members, and occasionally some big donors, uh, the John McDaniel Living Trust, for example, probably the biggest single gift uh, in the in the history of Adams State, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's something that the foundation and the alumni office tries to do is to encourage a kind of 
culture of giving, if Adam State was good to you way back in the day, mm -hmm. you know, is is there a, a way for you to contribute to the, to somebody else's future right. by giving? Mm -hmm. Yeah, get, taking the opportunity, you know, years after taking that walk, shaking a president's of Aldi's hand or whoever <laughs> it is, having the the stentorian of Dr. Edward R. Crowther to announce your name for God and country and everyone to see that you have been conferred by the faculty at Adam State and then going out and having a successful career and putting putting some of the, 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 the tangible earnings that you've got from your Adam State education back towards some goon from Apache Junction that's rolled in, yeah, you know, with, with, with no car and fingers crossed or... Uh, or, or someone else coming from uh, areas far, maybe a maybe a brush beat digger that rolls into uh, that rolls into Colorado, or some some yes. little uh, blonde twerp from Hotchkiss, Colorado. <laughs> um, let's talk about the intersection between the foundation and the football program, and and some of the things that Adam State football is going to be looking to do to work to build and chase excellence. Yeah, I, one of the things that we're working on right now is a function of the larger context in which higher education operates. There are fewer young people choosing to go, go to college for mm -hmm. a variety of understandable reasons. Mm -hmm. um, there are fewer uh, young people because we're sort of in the, 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 the echo of a birth dearth uh, mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a population that's available to recruit um, would be student-athletes. Mm -hmm. And uh, student-athletes bring a lot to the table. If you're eligible to compete in an NC2A sport, your index score, which is a term that educators use to talk about the intersection, high school GPA test scores and all that, mm -hmm. your index score is higher than the minimum to get into Adams State. Mm -hmm. And you've already demonstrated that you have a certain degree of stick to mm -hmm. And chances are, because you're playing a sport, uh, you're not coming to Adams State uh, to come and play a year and then go somewhere else. You might stick around to become a graduate. Mm -hmm. So you might stick around to become a graduate who will later become a contributor mm -hmm. to the foundation. Mm -hmm. And so we're beginning an effort to kind of align where foundation resources are with uh, the, uh, the pocket of students that we have to recruit. So we're looking at maybe targeting some resources going forward for uh, athletic scholarships and so forth. In fact, just uh, this fiscal year, the Adam State Foundation for the first time allocated $60,000 to ASU football. Why mm -hmm. football? It has the biggest roster. Mm -hmm. Why football? It is the front porch to your university mm -hmm. and so forth. And going forward, we're hoping that we can do more for um, Adams State Athletics and by producing graduates, do more for Adams State University. Mm -hmm. And of course, what we're asking the football program to do is uh, we gave you 60K, mm -hmm. expect you to be accountable mm -hmm. And now you need to raise 60K to mm -hmm. match. And then we'll see what we can do going forward. And literally creating that type of model across the spectrum. 
And who knows, we might say the same thing to the theater program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but using our resources in some sense as seed money, that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to us. And targeting athletes because that's a population that just might persist and become a graduate mm -hmm. in a way that uh, most Adams State students who come to Adams State don't become graduates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not this boom lottery ticket kind of a situation that's saying, hey, Adams State football, you are to go out, mm -hmm. turn over some rocks, beat a few bushes, engage with the alumni, the past players, and anyone else that is interested in the uh, interested in Adam State football, and to whatever degree, um, that 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 that's part of the gig, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with this little startup of a project here is figuring out how can we give something back to those that have taken the gridiron uh, with the with the green bonnet, yeah. and um, that's a. Uh, you know, in the in the in the spirit of what you're talking about with uh, with Vince Lombardi, that's a that's a that's a tall order. But um, there's a lot of us out there. Not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but there's a you know, we got a we got a we got a sound network of, of individuals. Uh, I've got about uh, 650 uh, names in a database. I think that the, the truer number is going to be about 1,300, about twice that many, and we're hoping to reconnect with those people. And you know, when you think about um, a capital campaign of any kind, we always think about somebody who can give seven figures or six figures. But you know, if you gave $10 a month, mm -hmm. in 10 years, if you did that every month, you've given $1,200. Mm -hmm. And if just the 650 people in our database uh, contributed to the campaign. It's about eighty-five dollars a person, mm -hmm. and we're at the sixty thousand. Right. And it was funny. That's how the Southern Poverty Law Center paid for itself. It was people. I still meet people. Say, oh, I send ten dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny. When a lot of people give a little. Mm -hmm. Many hands make light work. Yeah. You can achieve a goal, and then maybe generate enthusiasm where somebody says, "You know, the Adam State football alums—they're really connected with Adam State." There must have been something special there. Mm -hmm. There's something special about this group of people, and I want to be part of that. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to give you $50,000 because I have it to give, but I want to give it to something worthy, mm -hmm. something that's accomplishing something to make the future better than the past. Mm -hmm. uh, so, well, and, and I'm hoping that one of the things that I'll be able to uh, assist with, um, at least getting it going, is a, a project like this where we can – make some type of a recurring media that is for former Adam State football players with a concise and nice and tidy ask at the end of it, but that commemorates this unique, special, and I call it magical because that's what it is for me and maybe it's not that way for everyone, but this rare opportunity and this blessing that I've been given to be a part of this group of folks being under the tutelage of folks like yourself and and, and Coach McGinn and Coach Heaton and, and now Coach Harrison, it's a it's a thick thick network that has had that's given many gifts to the game, and so I think by commemorating our past players and coaches and friends of the program and celebrating uh, the current players and coaches that are involved with Adam State football, we have a lot of opportunity to uh, provide some value for 
for those that might be a future out-of-state football player and those that have, uh, have put the green bonnet on and taken the gridiron on Rex Field in the past. Let's talk about if someone is interested in making some kind of a donation. My, my understanding is that you've set something up through the foundation. It's a secure way of, of donating. Can you tell us a little bit about that mechanism? Yeah, you can simply go to the Adams State University Foundation website. And we'll put that in a, in a link in the description of this podcast. And wherever else this is, there will be a link in the description to get you directly to that. So, That's sorry. perfect. Yeah, and so all you literally do, if you've got a credit card, mm-hmm. uh, you can donate. And simply where it says restrictions, just type in the word football. Mm-hmm. And then that gift is reserved for football. But you, if you've got a smartphone, Mm-hmm. You can contribute to Adam State. So I follow the link. I, in the restrictions, I write football, and then I can contribute directly to this mission that is designed to support the Adam State football And you can make a program. one-time gift or a recurring gift, mm-hmm. and you can do both. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. Um, thank you. Thank you for your, your work as a coach, your dedication to uh, Adam State football. Uh, you're, you're busy enough as a teacher, so for you to take on the extra load of traveling to Nebraska Kearney in a van or on a bus, uh, to traveling to Arizona to recruit dum-dums like me, um, th- thank you for all that you've done and the impression that you've made on all of us as, uh, as, uh, as, as you support us over the years. And I hope that this is a good way for us to get started in this program. Well, thank you for the opportunity, AJ, and it's been a delight to get to know you and now to have this ongoing relationship. It's an honor. Thank you, Mr. Webb. That's it for this episode of the Adam State Football Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please follow the podcast, share on social media, leave some ratings and reviews. If you have an idea for a podcast guest, send an email to adamstatefootballpodcast at gmail.com. Link in the description. Thanks a lot for listening. Go A-State.